So Money episode 822, the best of 2018, financial feminism and workplace equality. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. It is almost the end of the year, and sticking with tradition, I'm dedicating the next two weeks to looking back and reviewing some of the best interviews of all year. You may have missed a few episodes. I don't blame you. There were many, many episodes this year. Uh, and so in an effort to maybe get you to go back and listen, but also you know be inspired, be reminded of the quality interviews we had this year, I'm dedicating the next two weeks to going back down memory lane. And today we're talking about all of the great conversations, insights, stories shared under the theme of financial feminism and workplace equality. You know, it's no doubt that this year, 2018, will go down in history as a major turning point for women's equality, particularly in the workplace. The Me Too and Time Out movements led to more women's voices being heard and more bad actors being called out, penalized, and in some cases prosecuted for their injustices. I had the great privilege of speaking to a number of individuals this year who are helping to lead the financial feminist movement, getting us to more quality and female empowerment in the workplace, in one's financial life, and everywhere. We're about to hear, again, some of these voices to highlight their advice, their stories, and insights that they generously shared so that as we all head into the new year, we're reminded of the ways we can all continue to succeed in our careers and in our financial lives. We're going to hear from money guru Susie Orman. You know her. Joanne Lipman, the author of That's What She Said. Amy Nelson, founder of The Riveter, which is a co-working space designed to support female entrepreneurs. But first, here's an excerpt from my interview with Kate White, former editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan Magazine and author of the book, The Gutsy Girl Handbook. This excerpt is taken from episode 775, where we talk about the faux pas she believes women still make in the workplace. Also, how to avoid getting lowballed in a salary negotiation. I think women today are far gutsier. They've they've watched what happens if you don't ask for what you want. Uh, but I do feel women today still make this mistake sometimes of hesitating, that they're waiting for further instructions or, or waiting for a sign that, yeah, you're supposed to ask. There's a promotion that becomes available and they think, They'll let me know if they see me as a candidate or we talk ourselves out of asking for certain things we want. And it's just really important not to hesitate, not to hold back, but to grab that wheel because no one's going to come right out and tell you, go do it. You have to be the one that initiates. It's tricky though, right? Because I'm all for being gutsy and asking for what you're worth and using your voice. But 
studies show that the perception on the other side of that, employers, managers, hiring managers, your boss, it's different when they hear a woman ask for what she's worth than a man. Using the same script, the same language, a woman can be perceived as being um, greedy or ungrateful or the B word. Um, so do you address that in the book in terms of how to, like, what is the, oh gosh, how do you navigate that? I mean, it's your gender after all. And if, if there's a bias, how do you, how do you address that bias? Uh, Furnish, you're absolutely right. And it's not just the B word. Can I say it on? Yeah, absolutely. It's also bossy. That is one of the things Sheryl Sandberg's research uh, a year or two ago showed that women who push for more money in a negotiating salary are are seen as as bossy. But what bugs me about all this research that's supposedly so helpful, hey, we just did a study that showed that you'll be (laughs) considered bossy if you ask for more, it becomes yet another excuse for women Mm. to use, okay, maybe I shouldn't do it. My feeling is if you read the landscape well enough and you pay attention to the people in the room and get a a bead on them and you present it in a way that's not emotional, that's not overly aggressive, but just very straightforward. I feel you don't have anything to lose. I know that job candidates who said to me something like, wow, I am thrilled to be offered this job. I'd love to work for you. I'd love to work here, but I was hoping for this amount that did not make my head explode. I was sometimes annoyed because they were going to get more money out of me than I had budgeted. But ultimately, when they started and performed great, I was happy that I had paid more. It's often, too, that that when you're negotiating for a starting salary, they are lowballing you. I asked a head of HR who I was sitting next to lately at a luncheon, how often are you guys lowballing? And she said, always, yeah. because they want to get the best deal for themselves. And when you don't negotiate a starting salary or possibly even with a raise, you don't negotiate, you are leaving money on the table possibly. So my best advice is go for it in the right way. Use your sense of the players involved to change perhaps how you present it. But I, I don't like this, all these, re, these studies that tell us and try to encourage us not to ask because of the way we'll be perceived. Right. We're going to think, well, what's the point? Well, and right. I have another theory too, which is that the reason, part of the reason why maybe employers get blindsided or whatever, when a woman asks for more and it's kind of perceived as a negative or bossy, it's because we're not doing it enough. You know, if we did it as much as the guys, it would just right. be normalized. We need to <laughs> normalize it. So it doesn't become this this, this, this outlier of an event at work. <laughs> Good point, because it does seem to come out of, uh, out of the blue when the woman does it. And the more we do it and they expect it from women, the less it's going to be seen as bossy or bitchy or any of that. And so much of it is having a, a tone of graciousness in your voice to say, I'm thrilled to be to be offered the job. I loved my conversations with you. They were terrific. And I would love to work here. But this is the amount I was looking for based on my experience and my skills. I hope we can do that. Don't hesitate to show your enthusiasm. It's really interesting. There's some fair, there's some studies that show that one of the, the characteristics that 
um, interviewers find as a negative and can often affect their their perception of you in a job interview is a lack of enthusiasm. And I know as a boss for many, many years that I love passion. I love enthusiasm. And too often because we're nervous or we think we're supposed to be cool as a cucumber, we play that down. And I think to bring up some of that into a salary negotiation to show how much you'd love the job, not that you're being like this, hey, tough negotiating bitch there, but that you just want the best um, for you and you're going to deliver for them and you're going to show them what you've got. Show them what you got. Show them your enthusiasm and ask, ask, ask. That was Kate White, episode 775. Next up is Susie Orman, episode 792. This was recorded at Money Magazine headquarters in the financial district earlier this year in the fall. She and I were both interviewed by Money's editor-in-chief, Adam Oriema. Susie's book, Women and Money, was celebrating its 10th anniversary at the time and had a new edition out. And she said that what motivated her to re-enter the public domain after taking a bit of a break was in fact the Me Too movement. She saw a linkage between having a lack of financial security and becoming a victim, being violated. Now, later in this clip, we also discuss some of the good news when it comes to women and money. But first, here's Susie. So here's the thing. It started with the Me Too movement. And you have to ask yourself the question, why do women allow themselves to be violated? Why? And in my opinion, it's because they need the job, they need the promotion, they need the part. Why? Because they need the money. Why do they need the money? To feed their family. And women will do anything. And I saw it in 2007, 2008. They will do anything to take care of their family, especially their kids. So I started to realize the role that money plays in the Me Too movement and everything. And while it is fabulous that women now are finding their voice and they're finally saying what's happened to them, and there isn't one of us, I'm positive that it hasn't happened to, really, especially in, you know, at my age, it's happened many times. But I had the power to say no. And I had the power to say no because I didn't care. And so it's not until women have power over their money. It's not so much even that they have money, but they have to have power over the money they have. Because even really wealthy women who have money get violated. And why is that? And it's because they have a manager and they have a this and they have a that, and they're still not taking their power with money. So the subtitle of the book is to be strong, smart, and secure. And it's my way of trying to say, Come on, ladies. This is the time that you now have a voice. Let's have a financial voice. That's why I did it. So you're saying in this year when women are finally speaking up about all sorts of things, isn't it time to start speaking up about money? No, I'm not saying that. It's not about speaking up about money. And I'm not so worried about the women who have already been in compromising situations because they now have an outlet and they can speak up. And chances are they're never going to do it again. I'm worried about the women who haven't yet been approached that don't have any money or they don't have power over the money they have. And now they find themselves in a situation. 
I want them to be able to have a voice that says no. And they can say no because they have power over the money that they have. Did that make more sense to you? It does make more sense. Yeah. And so you feel like... He's a man. What do we expect? (laughs) Oh, that's a low hit. But you know what I mean by that? Yeah. You know, Adam, it's... This is a serious, serious situation that we have on going on here. When you have major CEOs and personalities and newscasters and everybody now coming out, and I'm not so sure that enough people are scared enough about this movement yet where this is going to stop unless women speak up for themselves, they speak up for other women and stand up for other women, and money has a role that plays in this big time, in my opinion. Sure. So, okay. So how do they do that? What, 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 what are you telling them in this book? This book, you know, this book has millions of them already out there. Mm-hmm. And I have a saying in this book, and I'm known for this saying, self-worth equals net worth. If you can't value who you are, you're never going to value what you do with the money that you make. You're just going to waste it and all these things. It's going to come in and it's going to go out. So this book really talks about not putting yourself on sale, saying no out of love for yourself versus yes out of fear what somebody else is going to think about you. It talks about money and relationships and how that all plays. And it gives you a financial empowerment plan where it literally takes your hand and where I'm saying to you, do this, do that, do that, do this, do all of these things. And it gives them the resources. If they need a will, if they need a trust, go here. This is how you're going to do it. Do take this course, do these things, have a debt eliminator, have an expense tracker, all for that. You know, those things, mm-hmm. you need those things. So this book is a personal educational system again. For women who want to be strong, smart, and secure, there's eight qualities of a wealthy woman in there. You have to know who you are to be as powerful as you're meant to be. We will get to those eight qualities of a wealthy woman. Okay. I would like to hear them. Uh, but I do want to ask, Farnoosh, are you seeing the same thing? Are you, are, you, yeah. are you seeing the same sort of fear? I wanted that to Susie's say thank you about? for making the correlation between Me Too and money. I don't think that is being talked about enough. I think that that was also the first thing that jumped out at me. You know, why are these women um, continually, why are we all continually finding ourselves in these kinds of situations? And it, there's a lot of factors, but one that was sort of overlooked was financial security. Because when you have financial security and you have savings and you have confidence in your financial plan, then that gives you the license to say no or to walk away, to get out of bad situations. But I think um, it's also opening up the conversation now about truly when women make more, when women have financial independence, the world becomes a better place. This is not just a win for women. This is a win for everybody. And like any other quote unquote issue that we can't for some reason get everybody behind, it's about making it a global um, issue, like the same with like gay rights, right? It's not about gay people. It's about families. It's about human rights, right? And like, who doesn't want to get behind that? Right. And so for women's issues, when it comes to money, my whole platform is about educating the women, but also showing the benefits when women are financially secure. Uh, it's for the ladies, but it's also for their families to be secure. It's also for the ability for the, fa- for the women to be able to stay in the workforce 
while they have children so they can continue to have their financial independence. Companies win. They can continue to be in political landscapes. You know, there's just so much benefit when women have the money. And right now, not enough women have the money. They're not making enough of the money. They have to ask for it. They have, we have to also create programs and training so that people give them the money that they deserve. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a long road. But I think that the Me Too movement was the catalyst that we needed globally to start talking about this as not just a woman's issue, but it's really everyone's concern. I figured let's start with some positives. So your book is about situations, in, increasingly common situations where women earn more than their partners. Right. So in what ways are women better at money, better at managing money than men? Well, there's been a lot of study done about women and investing. And over the long run, women tend to outperform men in the stock market. Mm-hmm. And I think when they look closely at why, it's because women, uh, we are very thorough in our research. We don't do things for the thrill of it. Like we're not investing because it's exciting. We're investing because we have goals and we want to meet them. And so as a result, we're not in our portfolios making all sorts of moves all the time. Uh, What they found was those patterns were more consistent with men than women. So I think, you know, sometimes women get downplayed like, oh, we're risk averse, we're not aggressive. But actually that works well for us when it comes to investing. And I think studies like that are great reminders as to why women should be more active in the stock market. So that's one thing. Um, and Susie mentioned earlier, like we will do anything for our families. Yeah. And that is why today we're seeing such a growth in women making more than their partners um, during the recession, the man session, right? Um, a lot of stay-at-home moms or moms who are making less uh, who saw their husbands lose their jobs because he was working in finance or construction or real estate, which were hard hit and traditionally male dominant industries. They're like, okay, well, we're not going to, we could wait till you find your next job, but we have the mortgage to pay for. We have kids to feed. So she then would go out and work and bring home the big paycheck. And that, to some extent, didn't change for a lot of families. You know, the women um, who emerged during the recession, who took on those big, important jobs, um, are still doing them. But also we're seeing women go to college in higher numbers, graduate school in higher numbers. That's paying off in the job market as well. We're very much interested in educating ourselves. So that's a big plus, too. Yeah, those are all really great positive things. Um, I wonder, so Susie, you said recently, so this is partly about confidence, right? Because you said um, women fake orgasms and men Ooh. fake finances. Ooh. Okay, so what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us all about no, that. Okay. Men faking finances and women faking orgasms. Okay, well, sorry to leave you with such a cliffhanger there, but Susie does go into all the explanations in that episode. Check it out if you haven't yet. Episode 792. In that clip, we talked a bit about women versus men, but the next guest you're about to hear from, Joanne Lipman, she's the author of the book, That's What She Said, What Men Need to Know and Women Need to Tell Them About Working Together. And she believes men have to be an integral part of the conversation and movement if we want equality in the workplace, if we want to move the needle. Joanne began her career as a Wall Street Journal intern, and she spent 20 years working there as a journalist. She's also former editor-in-chief of USA Today. Here's an excerpt from the top of our conversation as we discuss the reaction she received to her book and why she wanted to write it. 
And what has been the male reception to the book and also this overall idea that we want you to be included in the conversation? Are men interested in this conversation? Yeah. So the, the, on the bright side. Okay. So we've seen a lot of action since Me Too, the Me Too movement started. So it's been a year uh, since the Harvey Weinstein allegations came out. And that really touched off a lot of soul searching um, among a lot of men, not all, but a lot among a lot of men and and a lot of organizations that are saying, you know, we we really haven't paid that much attention to this. And what I the message that I bring in, that's what she said, is the, the sexual assault and, and, and abuse that we're hearing about that's in the headlines, that's the tip of an iceberg of a culture that allows that kind of behavior. But the culture is really what we need to change. And what I mean by that is women talk all the time with one another about these issues we face on a regular daily basis and things like being marginalized, interrupted, um, not taken seriously at work, not taken as seriously as a guy sitting right next to us, in addition to issues of pay inequity and promotion inequity. There are things that are just happening to us a hundred times a day. And it's it's woven into the culture. And those are the issues that we really need to focus on. We need an entire cultural overhaul and a lot more organizations and a lot more leaders of organizations are understanding that. So the, the embrace by men has been, um, really, really gratifying. And I have to tell you, when I first wrote the piece, um, there were a number of publishers that were interested in the book. Um, but one of them I went in to visit and there was a man, um, uh, one of the leaders of the publishing house. And he said to me, you know, no man will ever read this book. And that was like three years ago. So obviously I chose a different publisher. But yeah. um, but but what's interesting is how wrong he was. I mean, I now find that I increasingly am being invited in to speak at very male dominated organizations. They're doing book groups around it. Um, I've noticed even in the mail I get from readers, um, even as time has gone on. So the book came out um, in the late January, January 30th. And so in that time, things have only accelerated. You, you expect with a book to get a little pop and then things <laughs> fizzle. But, but instead, we're like a rolling stone that's gathering you know, as it goes, it's getting the, the, it, the, the embrace, the movement is really increasing. But where I'm really seeing the increase is among men. And I think that's a very encouraging sign. And frankly, in hindsight, that one publisher, that male publisher's reaction, which was that no one, no man is going to read this. Honestly, that's good because that tells you that your thesis is complex, that there are going to be multiple takes to it. And ultimately, uh, your thesis is prevailing, but it's kind of good that it's striking a debate and conversation, right? It is. It is. Now, to be fair, to be clear, right, the men who are coming to this are men who were leaning in this direction anyway. I do think we still have an issue with um, there is a minority but still sizable cohort of men who who are really bristling at the Me Too movement, who are, you know, we saw this come out during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings um, that, you know, there, there, we, there's still a ways to go. There's a long ways to go. But what, I, what I'm seeing, and frankly, in particular since those hearings, is there, there's, it's mobilizing that vast 
majority of men who are in the middle. And, and but I, what I mean by that is there's a certain percentage, 10 or 20 percent of men who are all in on this already on the idea of gender equality. And there's a certain percentage of men, 10 or 20 percent, who are just never going to be converted. Right. They're just troglodytes. Right. But there, there's the, the vast majority of men actually fall in the middle. They're good guys who you know, just never either, either they didn't think about this or they thought it was like somebody else's issue, or they just thought of it as a girl issue, like a a female thing. And now there's this increasing understanding that it's not a female thing. It's an all of us thing. It's a, it's a human issue, the gender gap, not a, not a gender specific issue. That was Joanne Lipman from episode 805. You know, there's actually going to be a follow-up to her book in the new year, an update for That's What She Said. It's going to look at everything that's happened over the last year, and it's going to be out at the end of February. There'll be two cheat sheets, one that talks about what you and I individuals can do right now to close the gender gap, and another for organizations, things that other organizations are successfully implementing that can be modeled in other workplaces to close the gap. Finally, in this series, I want to go back and hear from a woman I started to follow this year and finally convince her to come on my show, Amy Nelson. She's an entrepreneur, a mom, and a leading voice in the modern conversation we're having right now around women, work, money, and motherhood. She's a former attorney and now the co-founder of The Riveter. It's a co-working space that is designed for the goals of women entrepreneurs who, by the way, she mentioned, are starting companies at five times the rate of men today. I knew we were outpacing men, but that's pretty outstanding. Amy is also the mom to three young children. And like many parents, she did not want to opt out after having kids but she felt that there were many forces at play keeping otherwise career ambitious women like herself at home after having their children. And one of those major headwinds was the workplace itself. Here's our conversation. What would be your advice to a woman today who is obsessed with her career, college educated, you know, doesn't want to become that footnote statistic and lean in the 43% of women who uh, become mothers and off ramp indefinitely because they just don't know how to navigate it all or they can't afford it. What would be your top tip? You know, something that maybe you haven't, you don't think is, is discussed enough or preached enough. Like we know, obviously you have to have money and, you know, love your job and have a support system, but what else do women really need to, to plan for or know about before they arrive at motherhood? I think we all need to hold corporate America's feet to the fire. And one of the ways that we can do that is by researching what their track record is in terms of, of women in the workplace. What type of parental leave do they offer? What do they offer when you return to work with breastfeeding? That's a huge moment in time when people leave is when they're not able to find a way to, you know, to continue to nurse when they want to and they return to work. Um, what, what do they do in terms of flexible work options? How many women are in leadership? Do they talk about a pay gap, right? I mean, Salesforce talks very publicly about how they had a pay gap, a gender pay gap, and they fixed it, right? If I hear one more person tell me it'll take like 122 years to fix the gender pay gap, I think my head will explode because you could actually fix it tomorrow. Um, so I think we, it's incumbent upon us to do as much research as we can to, to choose to work for companies that are doing a good job. And then I think if we vote with our feet in that way, it will force other companies to consider these issues. 
And because sometimes it's hard to think about when you're 25 or 26 and this isn't the part of your life yet, but it's, but it's important even then. But at the same time, there are a lot of companies out there that they feel maybe they're doing fine without female influence and female leadership. You know, you talked about the places like WeWork where it's like built by men on all board male, all male board, excuse me. And so I want those companies, I want to hold their feet to the fire, right? I don't want to like ignore (laughs) them and then just go work for the wing. I want to say everybody needs to be accountable. How, so you think it's just a matter of kind of, if we ignore them, they'll fall off the face of the earth (laughs) sort of thing. I mean, (laughs) I mean, I think like, I think, you know, I think, you know, right now we have really low unemployment and so there's a talent war. And so if, if we're choosing not to go work for companies that mm-hmm. we think aren't doing a good job with women, my hope would be that those companies would then reform their policies, uh, so that they could attack, attract and retain talent. Um, I hope that's not wishful thinking. Um, but I also think, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's really important that journalists hold people accountable. Um, you know, we just, we just saw the, the New York Times piece last week about Google, right? How they gave Andy Rubin a $90 million exit package after credible allegations of sexual harassment. That can't happen, right? Right. It's a multi-layered approach for sure, but it's so motivating to see and hear women like Amy Nelson create the change that they want to see in the world. And that is where we're going to wrap this year-end review. I hope you've been inspired and we'll go back to listen to all of our episodes this year that touched on women, money, work, and everything in between. You know, it's something that's very important to me and I know to you. And even if you're a man listening, you know, as Joanne said, gender equality is a cause we all need to get behind. It is not just a woman's issue. It doesn't just benefit women. Stay tuned for Wednesday's Best of 2018. That's going to focus on all the great teachings from the year related to overcoming financial hardship. We had guests who shared their trials and triumphs with overcoming hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. One guest, in fact, shared how she bounced back after losing nearly everything at the hands of Bernie Madoff. Remember him? He stole more than $60 billion worth of clients' investments in his Ponzi scheme. All these episodes available at somoneypodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I hope your day is so money. So money.